0: Hi everyone, thanks for listening to AOK. Before we start the episode, we just want to remind you that everyone's sexual and romantic attraction works a bit differently. What you are about to hear are opinions based on personal experience, and any descriptions of romantic or sexual orientations featured in this episode are not representative of any group. friends, and welcome to AOK, the podcast about people on the aromantic and asexual spectrums. I'm your Aeroways host, Courtney Lang, and joining us today is Linnea Peterson, who is a communications professional and aspiring novelist. Hello and welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. So uh,
1: tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm 23 and I... I am from Minnesota originally, but I went to college out of state and now I'm back. I'm currently with Lutheran Volunteer Corps um, and finishing up my year of service as a communications professional at a tiny nonprofit. Um, My pronouns are a little complicated. Um, My relationship with my pronouns is a little complicated. Um, I usually use she, her, occasionally they, them. I don't really love pronouns in general, um, and I'm still figuring out what feels best for me. Um, in terms of my like sexual and romantic orientation, I identify as gray, asexual, biromantic.
0: What does that mean for you? So the gray, asexual portion and the biromantic portion and how, kind of how those go together?
1: Yeah, so gray, asexual to me means that most of the time i don't have any interest in sex and sex doesn't occur to me it's not something i think about even when it maybe is relevant um it took me i think until i was 19 to realize that unmarried adults who were living together who were in a relationship were probably having sex like that just never occurred to me um I say gray asexual rather than completely asexual because I've wanted to have sex with two people ever. And I've been in four relationships. Um, Three of those relationships have lasted at least a year. And so I know that I can be in a long-term relationship and not desire sex, but I also know that there have been times when I have desired sex. So that's kind of the gray asexual part. Did it take you by surprise when you desired it? Um. Well, not the first time, because my first relationship was one of the ones where I did desire sex, um, so I didn't realize that I was asexual until oh. afterward, um, and for a while I thought maybe it was a medication I was on that was making me that way, or maybe it was the relationship I was in that was wrong, that was making me not want sex when I didn't want sex in my second relationship, um, but yeah, eventually I realized that I'm just mostly asexual and I've had a couple exceptions. Um, So I guess the second time I was in a relationship and wanted sex, that was something of a surprise. So how was
0: the process of figuring it out? Like you said, you always kind of knew.
1: I mean, I guess it was a little bit complicated. Um, Like around when puberty started, well in sixth grade we had our Greek mythology unit, right? and. I was super, super drawn to the three virgin goddesses, and I was like, I want that, like I don't wanna ever have sex, like I was just really excited about this concept of like these goddesses who were kick ass and, um, and never had sex. And so I was like, that's what I want for my life. Um, and so I thought that I would never want to have a relationship. Um. And then I started getting crushes all the time. I started having a relationship um, when I was 14, um, and that relationship lasted for about three years. Wow. Um, Yeah, so I dated one guy for pretty much all of high school, and I never had sex with him, but I wanted to have sex with him for quite a while. Um, And so kind of the thought that maybe I was asexual didn't really come up until after we broke up because I hadn't known the word before we got together. but. Around the time we broke up, one of my friends um, came out as asexual and started sending me a lot of fan fiction featuring an asexual interpretation of Sherlock. And I started reading a lot of it and identifying with a lot of what I was reading. Yeah. And so by the time I entered my second relationship, I was kind of trying on the term asexual, um, but I wasn't sure. And then I went through that whole relationship, which lasted about a year, kind of wondering if I was ever gonna start wanting to have sex with this person and it never happened. And um, I mean, he was really understanding about that, which was great. Uh, but by the time that relationship ended, I was pretty sure I was asexual.
0: Yeah. Wow, An a- like an asexual version of Sherlock is all I ever want.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of fan fiction in that category, actually. Thank God, because
0: official Sherlock, like, shows and shit always ruin it. Like, there's always that hope, and then yeah, sneak in, um, what's her name? Uh. Irene? Irene Adler. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, so, I mean, the BBC Sherlock I have completely fallen out of love with, um, but I will be forever grateful for the fandom that it gave me and the fanfiction that it spawned. When I was 17, when I was reading all that Sherlock fanfiction, I learned a lot about how to be queer and how to be out from some of the more sexual ones, but then I learned a lot about how to have a successful relationship as an asexual person and how to communicate about not wanting sex but still wanting physical affection and still wanting emotional intimacy um, from the fix that depicted Sherlock as asexual.
0: Yeah. So how do you come out to people, especially in relationships? Um, How do you set those boundaries?
1: I don't remember the first couple relationships, um, like how that shook out exactly. I think it was more of an open dialogue. And in my first relationship, we kind of both decided we feel too young. We feel not ready, even though we both want this. Um, And then in my second relationship, it was kind of do you want this yet? No. Okay, how about now? Still no. Um, and that was respected. But by the time I was having my third long relationship, I knew that I was asexual and it was something I was willing to talk about with my friends. And the girl I wound up dating, we were friends first. So I think by the time we started dating, she knew that I was ace, which was nice. And I mean, now um, I've been single for a while, but the fact that I'm asexual is in my Tinder profile. I don't want people to be under any illusions or have any expectations about sex. So just right off the bat, I want to say, like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm asexual. Like, if that's not re- what you're looking for, then you're not looking for me.
0: Right. So you are trying to date?
1: Um, Not right this second, because I really need to find a job. Um. <laughs> And also would love to finish editing the second draft of my novel, um, but um, I was active on Tinder from about August to February, on and off.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to go on a tangent. Mm-hmm. Your second novel? No, the second
1: draft the of second my draft novel. The second draft of
0: your novel. Okay. Yeah. Um Wow, congratulations. Thanks. That's so far on a novel. Um, are you having a good time with it?
1: I am. Um, it's kind of a giant what if about my life. huh. And so I think I mentioned that I sort of came out to myself as bi when I was 17. Um, that was because after my first relationship ended I developed a massive crush on my best friend which was super inconvenient and she was out as lesbian at the time but um, she had talked several times about how she knew that she could never fall for someone she'd known for a really long time oh. and we'd known each other since first grade. Dang. So I knew that I didn't have a chance with her even though she liked girls. Right. Which was really frustrating Um, and so this novel kind of came into my head when I was about 18 so shortly after I got over my crush on her I was like well what if I wrote about two girls who were seniors in high school who like tried to make it work the the protagonist in the novel is very much a self insert and it's kind of about three girls who are friends um and who are really drawn together by fandom culture they get really obsessed with this British detective show that I've worked pretty hard to make not Sherlock. Yeah. Um, the The British detective show has these three main characters: um, two men and one women one woman. Um, and a lot of people ship the two guys, um, and that's like the main ship that the fandom is really excited about. And it's unclear, kind of throughout the whole book, whether the show is queer baiting them or not. In the first draft of the book, the characters got together at the end of season three, because season three is what's airing um, during the course of the book. And one of my friends who gave me a lot of feedback on the first draft said, you know, it would be really interesting to see these characters engage with media that they think is imperfect. And so that's something that I changed um, in the second draft. So the characters don't get together, but it's kind of hinted that they might be interested in each other. Right and no one knows if season four is gonna be a big disappointment or if it's gonna resolve some things.
0: Oh, that's so
1: good. Thank you.
0: Yeah, do you mind if I leave that in?
1: How much (laughs) did you give away? Um, No, that's all fine.
0: Okay, it sounds great. I would read something like that. Um, I think more books need to be like that. I really like the idea of the characters grappling with a show that they really like. and god the queer the queer baiting is just i've we've all been <laughs> yes we've all been baited by tv and just disappointed and we sh- always feel like we should have known better mm-hmm. but there's always hope um yeah let's go into fandom a little bit so mm-hmm. i'm wondering so I've always had frustrations when it comes to, like, ace and arrow representation in media. Did you ever feel that? Because it seems like you were in fandom
1: from such a young age. I was. Um, I started writing fan fiction before I realized it was something anyone else did. Mm-hmm. I actually started when I was 10. Um, I read a book with a really disappointing ending, and I decided to write a sequel. <gasps> so I did. Um, I actually finished the sequel, and I still have it, and it wow. is painfully bad. Um <laughs> Because I wrote it when I was 10 and 11. Um, I typed it up, actually, for I, – I got to use it for a school project. There wasn't, like, a no fan fiction, no plagiarism yeah. kind of rule. I mean, it, I, I I was clearly writing the actual words myself, so my teacher didn't consider it plagiarism. How um, old were you? Sixth grade. Oh, okay, um, so that's right. Yeah, so um, I typed it up, and in 12-point font, 1.5 spacing, it was about 90 pages. <gasps> um so, what did your
0: teacher do when she saw or when he saw? Um,
1: he was excited that I had written that much. Um, if anyone had written over 20 pages, then they got to copy edit with the other people who had written over 20 pages. So, we like red penned each other's stuff, um, into the next dimension basically, and <laughs> um, then the teacher actually brought a book binder in and like printed the stories out on like special paper and we bound the books. Wow. So I have my very first fanfic in bound book form wow. at my parents' house. That's why I still have it. Um, So it is painfully embarrassing to read but it still exists and I I might reread it sometime just to kind of try to figure out where my psyche was when I was 11. That's amazing. (laughs) Then I read Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. and then I wrote a bunch of, like, little next-generation vignettes um, in this tiny little notebook that I carried in my pocket. Uh, And then I think I was in eighth grade when I found out that fanfiction was a real thing that other people did. And I was introduced to fanfiction by... Um, James Lilly stuff Um, and so they became kind of my OTP for a couple years I think just because they were what I was introduced to first. Um, I wrote some super self inserty James and Lilly stuff where I was (laughs) Lilly and um, actually one of them kind of became my diary in high school and I put like all the stuff that was going on in my life that I was confused about into This story, which was a lot of stuff, um, and it wound up being like eighty some thousand words, and it's still on fanfiction.net because over two hundred people have favorited it. And I hate when my stuff that I favorited gets taken down, so I've left it up for them. But like, there's an an on the first chapter that's like, yeah, don't read this. Yeah, Um, if you're new, don't read this. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's how I got into fanfiction, Um, and then, uh. I don't know that I've ever encountered asexual representation in, like, traditional media. Um, But fan fiction, I've encountered a lot of good asexual representation, mostly in the Sherlock fandom. Um, There are so many ace Sherlock fics, and they really helped me come into my own. But um, also some in the fandom for the anime yuri on ice um
0: let's talk about that
1: yeah have you seen it
0: um yes multiple times
1: yeah yeah okay i think i've seen it three times what are your, some of your favorite fics um well i mostly ship oda yuri um oh really yeah yuri placetsky and oda beck um, Wow. like aged up because i know very... it's i know it's weird when they're 15 and 17 yeah. but like take them up to like 19 and 21 and it's okay wow um
0: what made you choose that pairing? I mean, it's hard to say how you chose one. Right. It's more like it chose you. Yes. But. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. So basically, I started, they started cropping up as a side pairing in a lot of Victoria fics. Mm. Um, and so I was originally reading mostly Victoria because, I mean, that's who the show focuses yeah. on. Um, and I liked that stuff. But my best friend has helped me realize that what I really like in pairings is that one of the characters is an asshole. Oh. Um, like, that really draws me in. Yeah. And I think James Potter is kind of an asshole, and Sherlock is kind of an asshole, and Baz Pitch is kind of an asshole. Yes, Baz is an asshole. And Yuri Plisetsky is an asshole. Yes. And neither Victor But he's such a nor, long- Yes. But neither Victor nor um, Yuri Katsuki is an asshole. That's a very good point. And so, like... I, I just wasn't getting as into it. And mm-hmm. so then um, there are actually a number of fics that depict Yuri Plasetsky as ace. Um, really? Yeah. And I
0: didn't know that, and I was, like, like, chin deep in that fandom.
1: Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to go looking for it. Um, I might have mischaracterized it when I said there are a lot, but there are definitely some out there, um, one of which is by me. <gasps> um, but that was after I read several that were not by me, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah, there was there is this really beautiful one. Um Yuri has thought of himself as asexual and I think maybe also aromantic, but he's developing feelings for Odebeck and he's like terrified because he's like defined his identity in part by being ace. And um yeah, that was just gorgeous. And so I wrote one um about Basically, if Yuri was asexual, but had never heard that word before, and Odebeck knew what asexual meant. And so they get together, and then Yuri, like, thinks that sex is expected, and, like, he's not expecting to enjoy it, but he thinks he needs to do that in order to be in a relationship with Odebeck. And Odebeck is like, no, we're not doing anything if you don't want it. And the fic kind of goes from there.
0: (gasps) That sounds like my dream fic.
1: Well, I can give you the... <laughs> give me
0: the title. <laughs> the link. Yeah, after the episode. After the episode, um, yeah.
1: Uh, I never thought about looking up
0: ace stuff on fan fiction websites.
1: Yeah, well, AO3 with its tagging stuff really lets you get into that. Yeah. And you can get quite granular in terms of what you want.
0: How many f- fan fiction stories would you say that you've written?
1: I've taken a few down if they weren't going anywhere and no one was reading them. And I have, I think, like between 85 and 87 up on FFN right now. Wow. So probably about 90 that I've gotten to a point that I would publish them. Wow. Um, And then I have uh, at least five drafts (laughs) in my Google Drive that will probably never be posted, so.
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's a lot, but I'm on the autism spectrum and fanfiction is my special interest. It's the only hobby I've ever had, to be honest. And so, yeah, it's somewhere between a hobby and an addiction, honestly. Yeah. And I, yeah, I've dedicated a lot of my time to it.
0: No, I get what you mean. I found it very addicting. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason I'm not in, into fanfiction right now is because I've, I'm, I'm not really into any fandoms right now. And my life feels colorless well reread carry on. (laughs) So what is it about fan fiction do you think that like resonates so much with you or why can you dedicate so much of your time to it?
1: Yeah I think there's a number of things um I think it's when you read characters you have read many times it's kind of like hanging out with people you already know and so especially if you're reading an author you've read before who's putting out a new fic or whatever there's no social anxiety basically like You know the characters, you know the author, so, like, you know exactly what you're going to get. And you can also anticipate that if it's a good fic and it's long, there will be twists that you don't see coming or whatever. But you know you're going to like everything. And so with books, you're always taking a risk, right? Um, You might not like the characters, you might not like the author, but fanfiction, you can rule out a lot of that risk. And you also, you can specify so much of what you want, especially with the tags on AO3. So if you just want cuddling or if you want to read about sex or if you want to read a university AU or a coffee shop AU or whatever, like you can specify those things that you want and someone's probably written it. Uh, And so being able to get that granular is really nice if you know what you're looking for.
0: Yeah. Do you think it played even more heavily for you maybe because you were looking for characters you could resonate with
1: yeah yeah like being able to make or find representation that isn't mainstream is also a huge part of what I love about fandom and so being able to say like hey I want to see if anyone has written you know Simon Snow as trans like I'm really interested in what that experience would be like or I want to see if anyone's written Yuri Placetsky as asexual or whatever um being able to see those experiences and kind of explore like, what if that's me? That's really powerful too.
0: Yeah, um, do you find yourself drawn toward a certain type of fic more than others? Or even a different type of fandom than
1: others? I feel like I've bounced around because my big fandoms have been Harry Potter, Sherlock, Yuri on Ice, The Lizzie Bennet Diaries, and Carry On. And so I've got, you know, a couple books, a TV show, an anime, a YouTube series. So there's kind of a, a broad range. I guess the one constant is that one of the characters is usually an asshole in the pairings that I like. That's <laughs> Wait, yep. that's my one constant. That's your that's your type <laughs> type of character. That's your type of character. That scares me a little, but yes. <laughs> I don't know if that reflects on me. Or if that reflects on who I want to be with, which would also reflect on me, but in a different way. I think
0: it's I think it's fun because it does let you experiment in a way without doing anything. Yes. Um, and it does let characters almost push your buttons, even though they're not doing it directly. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of I kind of see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something also about a lot of fan fiction re- revolves around? romantic or sexual relationships Mm -hmm. do you think any of that ties into like you or me and our you know the like your gray ace or I find myself reading just like hours and hours and days and weeks worth of like like really hard porn fan fiction or um, like really really romantic like I'm bawling kind of fan fiction um, even though I'm arrow ace do you find that kind of
1: yeah, so my experience with like the sexual side of fanfiction has been interesting. So I didn't read any smut until I was 17. Um, so I'd been reading fanfiction for like three years, like on a pretty regular basis by this point. And I'd tried to read straight smut once or twice and hadn't been able to make it past the first paragraph. And I realized eventually that if anyone in the story had a body like mine, I couldn't do it. Same. I could only read sex scenes that involved men. And for a while I was worried about that. I was worried that that was a fetish and that that was bad, but eventually I talked to someone else who was on the sexual spectrum who said, "No, like not being able to read sex involving bodies like yours is just kind of something that comes with being ace sometimes, and that's okay and that's not fetishizing. There's just something safe about reading about parts you don't have. So even then, for probably my first year reading Smut, I would skip it like half the time um, or just skim past it. Um, But I could get through it. And I've come to kind of appreciate it as time has gone on. But it's not something I typically seek out. It's more just something that happens in a lot of fan fiction. And ruling out all of that would rule out too much, in my opinion. So I do read quite a bit of it, but not because I'm looking for it usually.
0: Let's talk about, like, the range of asexual people on their relationship, like, with sex. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Like, where do you fall on between, you know, some ace people having sex regularly despite being asexual because, like, they find it fun or, Um, they love their partner so much that they want to give them sex and um, things like that or the people who are like 100% repulsed by sex like where do you fall in
1: that? It's interesting because I tend to be repulsed um, and I've said things like I prefer to pretend that no one has anything in their pants Um, (laughs) and I really do feel that way, like, at least 95% of the time. Um, But then after a certain amount of foreplay, basically, it's like a switch flips, and I'm like, oh, wait, I can imagine having sex and that being pleasurable now. Oh, okay. And so it really – it takes a lot to get me to that place, but then I'm not repulsed anymore for – anywhere from, like, a couple hours to a couple days.
0: Interesting. So it's it's a complete lack of desire for it
1: mm-hmm. and almost
0: repulsion of it until that, what you said, like, switch gets flipped. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Something that I've noticed about a lot of queer spaces, especially the the queer group at the college I went to, is that because there's so much pressure not to talk about gay sex in public or in quote-unquote polite company or whatever, being able to talk about sex is one of the things people really like about queer spaces. And for those of us who are more sex repulsed, that can make those spaces really difficult to be in. And so it almost felt like I didn't belong in, you know, the, the queer club at my college because I so often felt like everyone's just here to make sex jokes that they can't make anywhere else, and I don't want to be around for that. And I know at some larger places they have a separate group for the asexual community in addition to having just an overarching queer group. Um, but that does kind of bring up the question of, like, do we belong in queer spaces? And I think we do, but if it's hard to make people who want to talk about sex comfortable at the same time as making people who don't want to talk about sex comfortable, then that's, that's a hard balance to, to have. You mentioned
0: the Autism Society of Minnesota having a really kind of kick-ass LGBTQ plus group. Would you say they're great, or would you say you encounter the same kind of problems?
1: Um, there's a lot less talk about sex Um, which I think has something to do with the fact that not everyone is in their late teens or early 20s and Mm -hmm. like super horny Um, (laughs) (laughs) so um, yeah there's there's a huge range of ages there Um, I think we run from like 19 to probably people in their 70s and yeah that's that's a really affirming group to be in a lot of the time. I mean, it's not perfect, but um, yeah, it, it definitely feels like a good space to bring all or almost all of myself, which is a challenge in a lot of other spaces, being queer and being autistic and all of that.
0: Yeah. So what is the group all about?
1: Um, so it's a support group. Um, so we meet once a month for two hours and everyone who wants to talk gets a chance to talk Um, and so we apportion times that that's possible and basically you can choose whether to monologue or whether to get feedback um, on what you say and sometimes people talk about things that have to do with being queer. Um, There are a number of trans people and they'll talk about milestones um, in their transition. People will also talk about struggles with employment or um struggles with relationships or whatever that like it's not always like just about the the queerness um there yeah there's also a lot about the autism and also just general life stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds like it covers a large range of topics.
1: Mhm. Mhm.
0: But you enjoy it?
1: I do. Yeah. How'd you find out about it? Um when I was going to get evaluated for an autism diagnosis, because I was just diagnosed a year ago. Um, If you're not a boy, you really don't get diagnosed until adulthood. Um, Autism was defined by men who studied boys, and the quote-unquote classic symptoms are the symptoms for boys, and they're not always the same for girls or people who are assigned female at birth. And that's a super frustrating mess. Um, But yeah, so I wasn't diagnosed until the week after I graduated college. Um, and when I was in the process of trying to get diagnosed, my mom did some research and found out about the Autism Society of Minnesota, and they have four support groups that each meet once a month, um, three for adults on the spectrum and one for family members of adults on the spectrum. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's a women's group, uh, an LGBT plus group, uh, general independent adults group and I go to all three of them
0: do you ever get to talk about fan fiction there
1: um occasionally I am under the impression that it might also be some other people's special interest but people I haven't are, talked a lot about it
0: people are always so hesitant to bring yes. It up. yes yep and I wish it was more of an okay thing to bring up <laughs> yep same oh it's so good
1: mm-hmm.
0: name some of your favorite fan fiction
1: Um, like, top ever? Yeah. Um, okay, performance in a leading role by Mad Laurie, um, in the Sherlock fandom changed my life. Really? How so? Um, it was the first smut I ever read, um, and it really taught me a lot about how to be queer, how to be out, how to deal with homophobia, um, stuff like that. And for the first probably six months of my relationship with a girl in college, um, pretty much every other sentence out of my mouth was so there's this part in performance where <laughs> I mean she got so sick of me talking about that fic um, so that is probably one of my top ever um, and then that's how the light gets in and behavioral modification are my favorite to asexual Sherlock fanfics um, they're both really great for different reasons um, that's how the light gets in um, is kind of quiet and soft Um, and um, there's some misunderstandings, but they get talked through. Um, Behavioral modification, there's much larger misunderstandings um, and Sherlock essentially like, tries to trap John in a sexual relationship despite not wanting sex to begin with and it, because Sherlock has all these bad notions that came out of, like, past abusive relationships. Um, And so um, those are both amazing. And then Rebel Rebel in the Carry On fandom um, is the one that's, like, 180,000 words um, by Basic Bathsheba. Um, And that is... It traces um, the protagonist of that story which is kind of the love interest in the source work carry on um it traces him through um through all eight years of the boarding school and um kind of one of the things that impresses me about Harry Potter is that You see how much the characters grow up, but at the same time when they're 11, they don't feel really, really stupid. Um, And that's also what I love about Rebel Rebel is that you see how much Baz grows up from being a child to being a man, but at the same time, even when he's 11, he's super with it and sarcastic and smart for an 11-year-old, and I mean there's there's just so much lovely stuff that goes on in that fic and I could talk about it all day but um yeah those are probably my top four pieces of fan fiction ever
0: mm-hmm. wow they sound great I'm definitely gonna look all of them up
1: <laughs> yay
0: I feel like fan fiction has just done so much for me and I don't know if you feel I mean yes. I think you feel the yes, same way I do. okay I I just think that's so cool and I think there's starting to be some research on fan fiction a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, yeah, it's just such an interesting m- movement. Mm-hmm. And I know there's always kind of been fan fiction, but it's, it just feels different yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, AO3 has done so much for us. Yes. Uh, what's one thing that you would like to tell people on the ACE
1: or Aero spectrums? Um, You are valid, your identity is valid, you don't owe anyone sex, you never owe anyone sex and people who really love you will not pressure you into sex. If someone tries to pressure you into sex, that is a sign that they don't really love you. It might be a relationship deal breaker, like your needs might not be compatible with someone else's but there are ways to handle that respectfully in a way that doesn't pressure you. And if that's not how it's being handled, then that is a sign to get out.
0: Yes. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Um, Who's someone important to you? Um, I would say my sister. Why? Well, (laughs) I love her. And I think one of the beautiful things about family is that um, it can give you people who you wouldn't have chosen. and that can open up more of the world to you. Um, So my sister is, I mean, we're both very good students, very high achievers, um, but she's definitely more of a party person than I am. I think if I didn't know her, if I weren't related to her, then I don't think we would be friends, um, and I think we would probably both judge each other pretty hard, but there's something beautiful, I think, about being in each other's lives and getting to see a part of the world that, we wouldn't have chosen to go find by ourselves. Um, well, thank
0: you, Linnea, so much for coming to talk to me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. I had a great time. Um, and thank you to everyone listening and to everybody supporting me. I'm so honored to be able to sit down and talk to people like, like you, Linnea, who are helping me expand the AeroAce world. And I hope you're enjoying the content as much as I am. And of course, thank you to UberKick for the use of their song A OK, um, to Tanner Grayler as Rats and Children for creating our beautiful cover art, and to Sophie Lalonde for editing and producing this episode. I'll be back next week with another guest, but until then, I'm Courtney Lang,
1: and I'm Linnea Peterson, and, and we're A OK.